Guys, um, you can probably turn to the book of Hebrews. That's where we'll be most often. We are taking a break from Matthew, as we kind of mentioned, and uh, we're going to be doing an Advent series with the hope that um, we can help to prepare all of our hearts for Christmas time. Um, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but this time of year, there's all kinds of things vying for our attention and, and things that we can easily get distracted uh, by. And so we don't want those things to overwhelm us or overshadow the real reason why we celebrate Christmas, which, which we can read about in Isaiah chapter 9, where it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, the gift of Christ is what we should be focused on. During this, uh, during this season and what we should be celebrating. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at the different roles of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. Look at that. It's right there on the screen. So you, can't, you don't forget it. There won't be a quiz, but we're doing them out of order, but that doesn't matter. So today we're going to be talking about priest. Uh, these are all important offices that are necessary for our lives. And then, you know, the idea that we, we have one person that can do all of those, those roles, fulfill the, all of those roles perfectly for us is an amazing gift. It's unimaginable that we can find it all in one person because if you're, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know how all of these offices existed with different people, different, different um, you know, throughout time. And the, the, the problem with the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings is all of them were flawed. Every one of them. But they pointed us to one that wouldn't be. They pointed us forward to, to the one who would be the perfect one, Jesus. So Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses, a greater priest than Aaron, and a greater king than David. And God has given him to us as a gift to enjoy, uh, to benefit us. So that means we have every reason to be filled with joy and peace, not just at Christmas time, but every day of the year. And, I, and hopefully we, we think that way. So this morning we're going to be uh, considering Jesus's role as our priest. This would have been something that was very meaningful and familiar to the Jewish people because priests were part of their daily lives. But for, for many of us today, we don't relate well to the idea um, of a priest that may not have a whole lot of significance. Now, some of us, including myself, were raised Roman Catholic. And so I have, I have kind of a, a bit of a relationship or idea uh, of what a priest is, some understanding. So we should probably start out by answering the question, what is a priest? What was their job and why do we need them? So generally speaking, a priest is, is a go-between. They act as a representative who mediates between God and, and us. The reason this is necessary is because our sin has separated us from a holy God. And, and this makes complete sense to me. I, I understand this very well. I know that the idea of me being able to come before a holy God in my sinfulness and my rebellion and my, um, you know, the fact that I'm an enemy that I could come before like God doesn't compute. There's no way in the world that I would be able to do that. And so this means that I don't have any direct access with God. I'm, I'm cut off. So this is where a priest would come in. If you needed to confess sin, if you needed to ask for forgiveness, if you needed to submit a, a request for, for a need that you had, it had to be done through a priest. The job of a priest is basically to work to secure forgiveness uh, and favor through prayers, gifts, and sacrifices offered on our behalf to God. And so the way Hebrews 5.1 puts it is, is, is this, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. Now, as I already mentioned, I, I grew up Catholic, so um, the idea of needing a priest isn't foreign to me. 
Um, confession was normally the reason that I would go to a priest, uh, shockingly. And I was pretty young at the time, but that's the one that I, I remember the most. Um, if you weren't raised Catholic, you've at least seen the movies where you go into the little wooden booth and you sit down and there's, you know, the, the priest is sitting next to you and there's a little thing between you. And, and uh, you start out by saying, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. Right? That's, that's the first step. And then you say how long it's been since your last confession. And you, you don't want to go too long. It's like, you know, getting your teeth cleaned. You want to do it fairly regularly or, or the, the, you know, the problems start to amass, right? So, and the funny thing is, even when you're sitting in this little booth, as I remember, um, you're tempted to lie about how long it's been since you've been there and about how bad things really are. Because you don't want this guy to think, you know, two things. You don't want him to look poorly upon you. And you also don't want them to give you a bunch of stuff that you've got to do. So it kind of defeats the whole purpose of confession if you lie when you go in there. But, but I remember thinking, oh, I better make this, you know, make it good, but don't go, you know, don't open up too much. So then the priest, he would listen to your confession and he would give you what was called a penance. And uh, the penance was basically what you had to do from there. And it was a way, you know, what, it would kind of be equal to the offense. So whatever you happen to do, he would say, you need to go and do this. Normally for me, it was I had to go and say the rosary a bunch of times. Now, if you're not familiar with the rosary, it kind of looks like a beaded necklace. It's got a crucifix at the bottom and then different size beads that go all the way around. And the idea would be that you would start with the crucifix. You would say the act of contrition and then, you, you know, the Apostles' Creed or um, the, the Hail Marys and the Our Father. And you would just go around and you would say that. And so he would often say something like, okay, go say 10 Hail Marys. Now, many of you guys know I talk fairly fast and sometimes I can be hard to follow and it's their stinking fault for this because I, in order to get through 10, you know, 10 of these things, you, you, I can say Hail Mary in like five seconds flat. I can still say it fast. I had to time myself in like 5.5 seconds. That's pretty good. Um, but the idea behind all this is that somehow I had satisfied God through this act of repentance and now I could go back to my normal life. There's a sense in which you feel as though you've done something to earn your forgiveness and you kind of feel good about it. And I'm sure this was true within the Jewish system as well because they had to do all kinds of, they didn't do rosaries, but think about all the things they had to do, all the different offerings and rituals and ceremonies they did. And the same thing, you would walk away thinking, okay, I think things are good now, I've done enough. But the problem is there are some very obvious flaws in this system. Flaw number one is this, how do you know when you've done enough? Right? If it's easy to convince yourself that you can make up for a few little sins, you know, here and there. But, but what, if you, what, if you, what if you do one of the big ones? What if you, you know, oops, I did a really big sin. Now, or what if you amass enough little sins to where now you've got, you've got a big deficit that you can't make up anymore? So, so you don't know when you've done enough. And then flaw number two, how do you know the priest is an effective go-between? I mean, you're kind of, you're kind of relying on this guy to be your representative, your mediator between you and God. So is this guy doing it right? Is he effective? Is he, is he, is he bringing the right stuff? Is he, is he following the right procedures? Is he worthy to go before God? All of those things enter into my mind. And then is he going to come up with the right prescription to give to me so that I can walk away and do, it, do what I need to do to, to make sure I'm right with God again? All of those things factor in. Bottom line is you better make sure you get a good priest. Because if you get a guy that's not doing his job very well or that's just mailing it in or too busy or doesn't have time or whatever, you're in trouble. Now, of course, there are good priests. We can read in the Old Testament, and we know, you know there, there have been good priests over the years. But, but even the best of them are flawed. 
And, and I know that, I know as pastors, we relate to this, this thing that people try to do to you where they, they try to elevate you to a, a position like we're holy men. Sometimes they try to call us reverend, which I can't stand. Don't ever call me reverend, please. That's just the whole thing just makes me feel weird. Even pastor's kind of weird. But you often feel like a hypocrite because we understand our sinfulness. We know how sin, we, we're just as sinful as the next person as far as our need for Christ. And so it's even especially hard when you get up and you preach. Uh, I don't know if you've ever preached before, but you feel like a hypocrite when you're preaching because you're telling people what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to live. And, and, and you know that even that, we fall short there as well. And, and it's kind of, it, you know, so you guys need to know that every time we preach a sermon, it applies to us first because we need to hear it too. And sometimes, if being honest, we need to hear it even more. So our sermons, you know, our prep wrecks us first. But I'm very grateful that the door is a place where you don't have to pretend like everything's okay or everything's perfect in your life and you don't have it all together. Uh, you don't have to do that, and we don't either as pastors. And that's, a, that's a, a rare thing, and it's kind of a relief because I think most pastors I've known, they have to put on a show, they have to pretend, them and their families have to pretend like everything's just perfect all the time. And I don't know if you can imagine the kind of pressure that would put on you, because you know it's not. It can't be. You know, everybody's got stuff, but if you have that pressure put on you all the time as a pastor, no wonder so many pastors burn out or wipe out, because this is no way to go through through life. The best thing about me, and I know David and Chad would say the same thing, is Jesus. The best thing about you is Jesus. Take Jesus away, (laughs) things look pretty bleak immediately. Bring Jesus back in, Big, big change. So uh, that's, but the bottom line is this. We need a better priest and we need a better system. And this is where Jesus comes in to save the day by taking care of both of these things. So first we're going to look at how he takes care of the problem of needing a better priest. But first we need to take care of a kind of an obvious problem before we go down this road too far. Because if you know your Bible well, you know there's an, an immediate issue with Jesus being appointed as a priest. Because according to Jewish law, what tribe did you have to be a part of in order to be a priest? Levi. Levi. Good job. What tribe was Jesus from? Not Levi, right? Judah. Okay. Uh Uh-oh. We got a problem right here. How can Jesus be the priest that saves the day if he isn't qualified or if he would have to break Jewish law in order to do that? And the answer is he can't, at least not under the Levitical priesthood. But what if there was another priesthood that God had established? What if there was a better one that, that, we, that we knew of? And the, the fact is that there is. And Hebrews 5 tells us about Jesus uh, being appointed by God and, and how he was appointed to a different priesthood. So in, in Hebrews 5, it says this. So Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest. And this is important because self-exaltation in, in a priest or a, a pastor is a bad thing. Jesus did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest after the order of Levi? No, after the order of Melchizedek. That's a fun name to say. You don't get to say that every day, right? Melchizedek, who is this weirdo? Uh, We don't know. He's an enigma, like wrapped in a riddle. He's a guy that not much is known about. He's a priest, He's mentioned in Genesis 14 during an encounter with Abraham some six or 700 years before the Levitical priesthood was even established. Hebrews 7.3 says this about him. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, 
but resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. That's pretty weird, right? When you talk about who he is, he's referred to as the priest of the Most High God. His name means King of Righteousness, and his title, King of Salem, means King of Peace. That's all, that all sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Hmm, I've heard about a guy like this somewhere before. It's like God had a different priesthood in mind all along, and he gave us kind of a sneak preview of what that would be like. Hebrews 7.11 says that perfection could not be attained through the Levitical priesthood, so there was a need for another priest to rise up who could bring perfection. We need a different priest. We need one like Melchizedek. Some even think that Melchizedek was an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ, like, a, like Jesus in the Old Testament showing up with Abraham pre-incarnate, like a Christophany. And, and I don't know for sure if it is or not. It kind of seems like it could be. And one of the even funnier things is at, at the, during their meeting time, uh, guess what Melchizedek breaks out to, while they're spending time together? Bread and wine. And I'm like, come on, really? It's like communion with the pre-incarnate Christ. I don't know if that's what's going on here, but it's kind of cool. Bread and wine were pretty normal things at that time, but it's still cool that it's mentioned in the Bible. So God was setting the stage for another priesthood that wouldn't fit the mold of what the Jewish people had in mind, but it would still be legitimate and it would actually be ultimate, even better. All this to say is that Jesus is a different kind of priest and a better priest. So, so what is different about Jesus? What makes him better? And we're going to focus on three reasons that he's a better priest. The first one is his effectiveness. The second one is his empathy. And the third one is his eternality. So first, Jesus is a more effective priest. And part of the reason for this is because he's a priest over a better covenant. And we're going to talk about that more in a little bit. But, um, but basically what I want to focus on right now is the fact that um, we have a need for better representation. So we talked about the limits of an of a earthly priest and how they don't necessarily represent you well. We, we need a better go-between, somebody who can mediate between me and God better. Now, if I have somebody that's going to mediate between me, a sinful man, and a holy God, I want to make sure that I've got the best possible person to do that, the most qualified and, and basically somebody I can trust because we're talking about eternity here, Right? You don't want to just entrust this to anybody. We've all gotten used to examples of corrupt representation. We see it in our politicians. We see it in lawyers. We see it in insurance companies. You can just go on and on. And unfortunately, we, we see it in the priesthood as well. Every priest who's ever existed has been flawed and corrupted because of their sin, which makes them unfit to represent us well, but not so with Jesus. Hebrews 7.26 says this about him, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's the kind of priest I want. It's like, can I have that guy, please? Can he be my representative, please? And it gets even better because of the hypostatic union of Christ. And I know many of you guys were wondering, when is he going to get to that? When is he going to get to that? You know, I'm just kidding. That's just a fancy word that talks about the dual nature of Jesus. So we, we believe that Jesus was fully God, and he was also fully man. And why is this important? because that makes him the perfect go-between, right? Because of his divine nature, he is allowed to draw near to God and relate to God. And because of his human nature, he is able to draw near to us and relate to us. And that brings us to the second thing that makes him a better priest for us, that he's an empathetic priest. Hebrews 
uh, 2 and verse 17 says that Jesus had to be made like us in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest for us. Verse 18 goes on to say that because he himself suffered when he is tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. So this is incredible news. This means that God knows exactly what it's like to be like us because he became like us. He knows what it's like to live in one of these. <laughs> and, and, you know, you guys are familiar with the frustrations of that. He is too. He understands us. He can relate to what we face and what we go through. So temptation, fatigue, sadness, loss, betrayal, all of those things are things he experienced too. He knows what that's like. So we have a priest who can fully sympathize with us, which is what we're told in Hebrews 4. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. This makes it possible for Jesus to go before the Father and plead our case and advocate for us in a way that's going to help us. So having a priest like this, the next verse says it should give us every confidence in the world. Like we have a good representative here. Verse 16 says, Let us then go with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in the time of need. There's even more good news regarding this priest because his priesthood never ends. He's an eternal priest. So if you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's your priest forever. Hebrews 7.24 says, Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost I love that phrase, saved to the uttermost. That's what I am right now because of him. Saved to the uttermost. Can't get more saved. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. This again is amazing. I love the way that God has laid this out for us. Uh, If you're like me, you probably go through those times where you think, you know, God has had just about enough of you and your antics. He, he's, he's just going to give up on you at some point. You know, you, how, how long is he going to just put up with you and put up with you and, and deal with your, you know, the way you, you do things? He's going to change his mind at some point. You know, I, I think that way. This verse tells me that's not possible. If Jesus is your priest, he never stops saving you. He continually puts himself between you and the Father, who is the righteous judge. He constantly mediates. He constantly arbitrates on your behalf. Okay, So Jesus is the best priest we could ever want. He can advocate for us. He can represent us before a holy God. But that doesn't solve all of our problems because you can have the best lawyer in the world. But if the penalty for your sins hasn't been dealt with, you still will be rightly condemned. So I can do all the rosaries, all the rituals, all the acts of righteousness from here on out, and I still won't be able to remove my guilt or get out of the punishment that I deserve on my own. And so not only do we need a better priest, but we also need a better system of salvation. And so, you know, think back to the the Old Testament and and the system that the Jews had. There was one minor flaw with the old sacrificial system, just a little one. It couldn't save anyone, okay? And if you're a sinner, that's kind of a big deal, right? So Hebrews 10 says that the sacrifices continually offered year after year were not able to perfect anyone because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. All right? Hebrews 10.11 says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's frustrating to think about. 
Most of us can't appreciate what it would have been like to live in the Jewish culture and to have to observe all of the religious rituals and the offerings and the special days and, and all the things they had to pay attention to. But, but just so you get a, just a small glimpse of it, every day, morning and evening, the priest would sacrifice a lamb. And there was a lot involved in this process. So if you were a priest who served for 30 years, you're talking about roughly 20,000 lambs. That's just for one priest. And that wasn't all. Every time a person sinned or, or wanted to offer thanks to God or became unclean or needed to make things right with somebody else, they had to bring a goat or a lamb or a dove or a pigeon or some flour. You know, it was, it was, you had to figure out which thing to bring and then the offering would you know, try to make you right before God again. Imagine having to go to your priest all the time with a different animal or a different item for a different offense, making sure that you kept track of all of it and, uh, you know, didn't forget anything. You know, if you had a week where you forgot, oh man, did I, did I take care of all that? I mean, that would constantly weigh on your mind. The day in and day out maintenance of a system like this would be exhausting for the priest and for the people. And the closest thing I can think of, again, is going back to my Roman Catholic days, where when you went to church, there was just a lot of stuff to do. And so right when you walked in the door, you know, you dipped the hand, you did the, you know, the the holy water, and then before you got to your chair, you had to kneel down, and then you had to do, the whole time during the service, it was, you were chanting things back and forth, you know, peace be with you, and also with you, and I always think of the force be with you, and also with you, but that wasn't it. But there were all these things you had to, to say and do and keep track of. And, and, and at some point, like even, even you had to make sure that you did your first communion, your you know, first confession, your confirmation, you know, there were these prayers, there was money, there was, you know, on and on and on and on and on that you had to keep track of. It, no wonder Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Because this would have been absolutely exhausting. And think about how frustrating to put in all that time, all that effort, keep track of all of it, do it perfectly, and it's still not good enough. It still falls short. It doesn't save you. That would have been extremely frustrating. So we need a better sacrifice, one that can actually save sinners. And this is where the story kind of takes a mind-blowing turn. Not only was Jesus willing to become the priest that we need, he was also willing to become the sacrifice that we need. And this is, this is amazing. Instead of taking a lamb into the Holy of Holies like the high priest would do on the Day of Atonement, Jesus became the lamb. He became the offering. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And unlike the sacrifices offered by the Jewish priests that couldn't save, the blood of Jesus was so precious, so valuable, that it's able to pay the full price for every sin that's ever been committed. It's sufficient to do that. Hebrews 10.12 says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, He sat down at the right hand of God. Why did He sit down? Because the work was done. There was nothing more to do. Salvation had been accomplished. Hebrews 10.14 says, For by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified or, or being made holy. One and done. That's a good priest. That's a good sacrifice. One, done. That's why on the cross he said, it is finished. You know how amazing it is to to hear those words and know that there's nothing left for us to do. He's done it all for us. You know, you realize how good it is to have Jesus as our priest. It's it's like he represents us like an attorney in a courtroom. And, and, you know, and he also is the evidence that sets us free. It's, It's kind of crazy to think about. He literally is taking care of everything once and for all. 
when Jesus proclaimed it is finished on the cross, he put an end to the daily sacrificial system. There's no, there's no need for it any longer. His act on the cross as our priest also tore the veil of the temple in two so that we now have access into the Holy of Holies, which again is amazing to think about. This is a place that nobody could go. The priest could go there one time a year and it would have been terrifying to go into the Holy of Holies. I don't know if you can imagine what that would have been like, but you just hope that you make it back out because you're walking into the presence of a holy God. The, the veil is ripped, it's opened, and now sinners can walk into the Holy of Holies. Now again, we're, we're cleansed by Christ, that's why. But that's, that's incredible to think about. This is the incredible news of the gospel. Each one of us is guilty and deserving of judgment. God's wrath is rightly pointed at all sinners. There is nothing we can do to earn a right standing before God. We can't amass enough good works. We can't, you know, there's nothing we can do basically except go to our priest. That's the only thing we can do is go to our priest. Our priest can forgive us of our past sins, but it doesn't stop there. He isn't just the priest of your past. He's the priest for today and the priest for tomorrow. And I don't know if you're like me, but the idea of a full-time priest really appeals to me. You know, the idea of having Jesus on speed dial. Hey, I need you to intercede again. Hey, I need you to, you know, I need you to go talk to the father again. I need, I need him like that. I need, I need a full-time priest. Do you know that today, right now, before God, Jesus is at work interceding for you he doesn't take breaks he doesn't go on holidays he doesn't call in sick he ever lives to intercede for you and for me and this is why the apostle paul was able to ask the rhetorical question in romans 8 33 who can bring a charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. No one can bring a charge against you. If he's your uh, priest, you have no reason to fear on the day that you stand before God. That's a terrifying thing to think about, standing before a holy God. But if he's your priest, you don't have to fear. All of the charges against you have been dropped, and Jesus has paid the penalty. It's an amazing thing to think about. But you have to go through the priest. It's the only way to get to God, the only, the only way he's given us, the only way you can approach God right now. You don't need an appointment. You don't have to do a ceremonial washing. You don't have to bring anything, nothing in my hands I bring. You just get to come by way of Jesus. You have to make sure you do that because as the Bible tells us, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through him. Praise God that he's given us a way. So a priest does three important things. They provide access to God, a way for us to draw near. They offer sacrifices for sins. And they intercede or mediate between you and God. How good is it to have Jesus as the one who does that for you? <laughs> I just I pray that we never take that for granted. That should never get old. You know, think about what He's done for us. We have somebody in our corner who knows the worst about us, and still is willing to intercede for us. We couldn't ask for a better priest. I love what Hebrews ten nineteen tells us because you think about it. if jesus is our priest what does it mean for us let's listen to hebrews ten nineteen. therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh and since we have a great priest over the house of god let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed 
with pure water and let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful in this. Even when we're not, he's still a faithful priest. And I love that, it, that there's a verse that, that tells us about his coming again. In Hebrews 9, 28, it says, So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you long for that day? Our priest is coming, and, and he's taking care of everything to receive us. Um, I, I can't wait to the, the day I get to thank him face-to-face for what he's done for me. I still can't believe it's true. It's like you want to pinch yourself every day that, that Jesus is my priest. He's my advocate. He's my sacrifice. He's, he's everything I need all in one. You know, there's a song we sing, and, I, and I, sometimes you don't think about the lyrics until you, you do a sermon like this, and then you, it kind of comes to light. But it's one that um, hopefully you're familiar with, and it says this. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hand. My name is written on his heart. I know while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. That just means nobody can say anything to get me kicked out. It's just more flowery language, but nobody can screw this up for me. Nobody can say, what's he doing here? Right? While Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look And see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Wow. Father, thank you so much for the the words to to a hymn like that 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 we can just meditate on and think about how good it is that you've given us Jesus. We know we weren't worthy even a little, and yet he willingly gave himself himself so that we can have a way to draw near to you, access to you, and forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for being so good to us. And this, this year, as we think about Christmas and all that goes along with it, help us not to forget about what you've given us in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.